So this morning we are starting a new teaching series that we're really excited about. This is something that has been building for some time. Uh, Oshita is going to share a little bit of where the impetus for this series came from, and then I'm going to share a little bit of a teaching that uh, around this this series that has really helped me in particular. So to kick it off, I'm going to let Oshita kick it off. All right. So um, so one of the things that we talked about a lot. Couple years ago, maybe like a year and a half ago, when we were candidating here at Roots, there was a lot of conversations about like how do we, as a couple, as a family, um, in ministry, like how do we set boundaries and what does it look like for us to take care of ourselves and what does rest look like? And we were really excited that we received so many of those questions from you guys during our candidating process because that's something that TC and I, very early in our life together, made a value. We really feel like it's important for not just people in leadership, not just people who are passionate about justice or want to make a change in the world. Every single human being needs to have a solid theology of Sabbath. Um, and it's been helpful for us as a couple, it's been helpful for us as parents, it's been helpful for us as, as ministers. Um, and so we were really grateful that that was a, a kind of question that was kind of percolating here at Roots. And so as I was really thinking about our church and really praying for us one day, um, I was just asking God, like, what are the, um, like, what does God want us to do? How does, what is God, how does God see us? What is an encouraging word for Roots? And as I was uh, praying for you guys, this picture of uh, a field just came to my mind. And, um, and it's a picture of a field, and I was standing at the front of the field, and I was asking God, like, what does this field mean? Like, how does this relate back to roots? Yes, our, we're called roots, so that makes a whole lot of sense that I'm going to have, like, agricultural pictures for us. But, like, really, what does this picture mean for us as a church? And God showed me a few things about how this community has gone through a lot of transitions, much like a field goes through a lot of transitions, um, and that God's heart for us is that we know how to rest. That we, are, that we become a field that is allowing ourselves to practice rest. Um, and then there's this scripture in Ezekiel about allowing the land to lay fallow. It's actually uh, Exodus. Sorry, Exodus. Um, Exodus 23, 11, but during the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed and unused, then the poor among your people may get food from it. And so as I was kind of trying to hold this passage in Exodus, uh, and I was holding up this picture of roots for us, I really felt like God was bringing us back to this idea of what does it mean to rest? Like actual true rest, like entering into the divine rest of God. How do we as a community of misfits want to build a theology of Sabbath and rest that doesn't look like treat yourself, but looks like treat yourself as a human being because God sees us as a human being. And then how do we as a community build a, a theology of being human so that we can honor the human the humanity in others? Um, and that really when God looks at us, God doesn't look at us and see our works, and God doesn't look at us and see our metrics, and God doesn't look at us and see um, and connect our value to any of these things that the world says makes a church or a community of people valuable. But God looks at every single one of us and says, you're valuable just because you are. Yeah. And Roots, you're a valuable community just because you are. And so when I saw this field and I remembered this line of lying fallow, this idea of resting, I really felt like God wanted us to spend six weeks just really soaking in the the love of God, but then sit, learning how to sit and be a community that rests well. Um, and so 
I wanted to kind of hang out on that word fallow a bit because that word really like, it kind of messed with me a little bit as I was thinking about it and sharing it with TC because um, in the passage it says unplowed and unused, but in, in another translation it says fallow. And some people think fallow means things that it really doesn't. It ha has kind of like a negative connotation. Even unplowed and unused feels a little negative. And so here are three things that I want you to take away from um, this picture of a field that is learning to rest. We're not going to overwork this field. We're just going to let it grow and form and be naturally. So um, a fallow field is intentional rest. And so in the practice of letting a, a land lie unplowed and unused, um, the farmer worked and worked and worked for so many years. There was an intention to help the ground become the very best it can be through work. Um, but then that last year, the farmer wants to allow the ground to be the very best it can be through the practice of rest. And so uh, when a ground is encouraged to lie fallow, when they make that choice and have it lie fallow, it's an intentional choice saying, you can grow through your rest. Fallow ground is intentional resistance to the, uh, producing a certain way, to becoming a field that looks like a certain kind of field, comparing your field to the field next to it. <laughs> and, so, uh, and so when we choose to rest, when we choose to let our, our time be, to practice Sabbath, to lie fallow, we are intentionally choosing to resist the urge to compare and resist the urge to produce and look a certain way. And then when we allow ourselves to rest, when we allow our community or our, ourselves to lie fallow, we are trusting God to provide. We are saying that my work isn't the primary and only way that I can provide for myself, or I can provide for my community, or we can live into the mission of our church. Um, our mission isn't fueled by our work. Our mission is fueled by the Spirit. So our mission is fueled by Amen. God. And so God provides for us. And so when we allow ourselves to practice that way, we are trusting God to be our ultimate provider. Here are some things that a fallow ground or a resting ground is not. Um, it's not a ground that doesn't produce. Like I said, it's just producing a different way. It's growing more organically. Mm -hmm. A fallow ground, a resting ground, is nothing to be ashamed of. It doesn't mean that you're lazy or that you lack skill or that you lack intentionality. It's actually a different kind of intentionality, a misfit kind of intentionality, a kingdom <laughs> intentionality. And a fallow ground is not intended to stay that way forever. That's right. So our scripture, God, God invites the people of Israel to allow the ground to rest for a year. And so when we allow ourselves to take regular practice of rest, enter into the divine rest of God. It's not a rest that we just sit in for the rest of our lives. It's a rest that is intended for a certain amount of time to move us into another season of serving and loving and caring and being intentional in another way. Amen. So as we were thinking about, as we were talking about Sabbath, and as we were talking about how we want to teach you guys Sabbath, Dur is going to join us in this series. Um, we were thinking about one of our favorite resources, which is from Walter Brueggemann, Sabbath as Resistance. And this quote really stood out to me. Sabbath is a big no to the worship of commodity, no to the pursuit of commodity. Sabbath is the regular, disciplined, visible, concrete yes to the neighborly reality of the community beloved by God. Mm. I'm going to say that again. Sabbath is the regular, disciplined, visible, concrete yes to the neighborly reality of the community beloved by God. 
So we are going to practice, and we're gonna learn how to set, how to, how to have regular, disciplined, visible, concrete yeses to the neighborly reality of our community that's beloved by God. We used to sing a hymn, Brigham goes on to say, um, the hymn is called Take Time to Be Holy, but perhaps we should be singing Take Time to Be Human. Mm. And so that is why we titled our series Take Time, or Time to Be Human, because we want to help you, like I said, really live into your humanness so that you can help others live into your humanness. But in order to do that, we have to have a really clear understanding of what the Imago Day is. So that's what GC is going to go now. We are calling this series Time to be Human because in one sense, practicing Sabbath provides us time to just be. This rest is from the work. That's, that's the part of Sabbath that is a resting, a ceasing from work. But in an important second sense, practicing Sabbath is about the restoration of our original calling as human beings. What is called the Imago Dei, the image of God. In this series, we want to touch on both of these aspects. The ceasing from work, the resting in that way, but also about living into God's dream for the world, and in particular, God's dream for human beings. So let's take a look at a foundational passage. This is familiar to many of us, of course. Uh, we learned about this when we were kids, some of us, in Sunday school. Uh, but this is foundational to where we're going to go in this series. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through chapter 2, verse 3. If you have a translation of the Bible uh, that you can flip to or swipe to, you could do that. Otherwise, I'm going to use the NIV on the screens behind me. Starting in verse 26, Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over the, all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They are to be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky, and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give you every green plant for food. And it was so. Verse 31. God saw that all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Amen. So this passage is part of the famous creation narrative of Genesis chapter 1 and the start of chapter 2. The passage starts out on day 6, and it ends on day 7. On day six, God creates humanity and gives humanity this unique identity and role, calling, purpose. Unlike everything else God has created, God gives humanity this special signifier, 
that God, that God created humanity in God's own image and in God's own likeness. This is as much a calling as it is an identity. To be created in God's image is to be God's representatives on earth. Humanity has a unique purpose to care for and to cultivate the earth. Humanity is to gather up all the praises of creation, all of creation's beauty, all of creation's fruitfulness, and to give it all back to the creator. Human beings are uniquely created with a sort of royal and priestly function in the earth. We orchestrate its praises, we cultivate its fruitfulness, and this is work. It's work. It's not an easy thing to do. Humanity is called by God to take care of the animal kingdom, plant life, even the creatures that crawl on the ground, even those insects. And humanity has a job to do. This gives dignity, I believe, to all jobs. Every work that human beings do, it has a divine quality to it. God has given us purpose to work in the world. So I think we should see all the work that we do with that sort of lens that God works and God has given us work to do. So work is good. But also, God rested. Rest is good too. When God finished creating, doing his work, God rested. And this doesn't mean that God got tired. God doesn't get tired. It means God stopped doing that work and began doing a different kind of work. It means that God completed the work of creation and now was in the world doing a different kind of work. As I said before, this series we're going to focus on the rest aspect of Sabbath and the living into our full humanity aspect of Sabbath. The second aspect of Sabbath, for me, took on a whole new, a whole new uh, vista, a whole new perspective when I learned something about this rest of God. For a long time, I just thought of this rest of God as the ceasing of work. God stopped doing that kind of work. But then I learned something about the ancient context, the cultural context into which this narrative was written. And it revolutionized my, my way of viewing it. There's a professor at Wheaton named John Walton. He's written a lot on the subject, but I found a very concise quote. John Walton says, in the ancient world, the rest of the gods was always in a temple. In fact, temples were built with the purpose of deity resting in them. This rest of the gods often involved their taking control of the cosmos. A god could rest because order had been achieved and everything was now ready. Walton shows us that the entire creation story in Genesis is told in such a way that the world becomes God's temple. And God wants to dwell within the temple, wants to take up God's rest in the world. Walton gives this uh, helpful analogy. Walton says that like a newly elected president takes up his or her residence in the White House, it isn't just where the president lives, it's also the president's command center. So the world is now God's command center. God has taken up God's rest in the world, and God is now ruling, reigning. But there's an important twist in this narrative. 
The important twist is that God shares God's rule and God's reign with humanity. God has given humanity a noble and a priestly calling to rule on God's behalf, to share in this work of ruling. So in this way, we are invited into the divine rest. We are invited into God's rest, his loving reign over creation, that shalom harmony of wholeness and goodness. But of course, you and I can look around at the world today and we can see that God's world is not full of shalom. It's full of brokenness. There is disunity. There is, there is uh, injustice. The good news is that in and through Jesus, God has struck the decisive victory in the war against the threats to God's shalom. The threats of sin, of death, of the powers and principalities. We can join God in that victory. We can join God in what N.T. Wright calls mopping up operations. The final death throes of the enemy. Because we know that the victory has already been secured. And this is especially important for a church like ours. The reason why I think that this series is going to be so important for us is because we are a community that has in our mission to thoughtfully seek the renewal of our city. That means we are going to engage with the principalities and powers. That means we are going to confront injustice. Our value of honoring the Imago Dei in every human being sets us against the powers of racism and xenophobia. Our value of equality in Christ sets us against the powers of patriarchy and misogyny. Our values of shalom justice set us at odds with the powers of violence and retribution. So we need to learn how to rest. We need to learn how to join in God's rest. We need to learn how to take up that rule and that reign that is secure, that is built on God's shalom. This past week, a man of faith and a pioneer of nonviolent civil rights mobilization in this country, he tweeted something that inspired me and I, I shared it on Facebook. John Lewis was a young man who marched with Dr. King and he was struck and nearly killed on Bloody Sunday when he and hundreds of other people marched across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama. He knows a thing or two about perseverance in the face of opposition, I would say. And this is what he tweeted the other day. He said, don't get lost in a sea of despair. Do not become bitter or hostile. Be hopeful, be optimistic. Never ever be afraid to make some noise and get in good trouble. Necessary trouble. We need to find a way to make a way out of no way. Hashtag good trouble. <laughs> I love that. I love John Lewis's spirit. He's a, a man of courage and character. And I added this uh, comment to my, when I shared it. I said, if we give in to despair or bitterness, the forces of injustice against which we stand and fight will win some more short-term battles. But when we partner with God in the renewal of all things, making a way out of no way, then we can have hope because the decisive victory has already been won. So let us heed this wisdom and resist the temptation to fight hate with hate and violence with violence. 
Instead, let us place our trust in God's spirit to energize our efforts. The three words that I think of when I think of this series are rest, reconnection, and resistance. I think that's kind of our rallying call. We need to learn how to rest well because we need to learn how to resist well. We are invited, Roots Covenant Church, into God's rule and reign, God's kingdom, God's rest, the stewardship of creation and participation in God's shalom. We don't have to strive to win the war because Christ and the Spirit have already struck the decisive blow. That is why we can rest from our labors, reconnect with ourselves with God and with one another, cease from striving, and trust that God is at work. So this week, I want us to think about this question. Ask yourself this question throughout the week and see what kind of inspiration, what kind of creativity the Spirit will stir up in you. The question is, how might we create rhythms in our lives and for one another in community of rest, reconnection, and resistance. Wouldn't it be awesome if Roots Covenant Church was known as a community for these characteristics? That's a community that knows how to rest, reconnect with God and one another, and resist the powers. I would love that. Pray with me. God, we thank you for the way in which you speak to us still through the scriptures, through your spirit, through the word that goes forth. God, I pray that this word would find, find a fertile soil in our hearts, Lord. Be a seed that is planted deep within us. And we would catch the vision of, of your rest being your rule and your reign. Not just ceasing from work, but also taking up partnership, representation of your good and, and loving rule over this world. Help us to be a people that rest in you. Rest in the knowledge that you have already won the victory. That Jesus is risen, death is defeated, and all we have to do is partner with you, partner with your spirit, and join in the work that you are already doing, making all things new. Lord, I pray for this community, that Roots Covenant Church would be a church that learns how to practice rhythms of rest, rhythms of reconnection, in all of our diversity, in all of our different ways of connecting with you, and also practices rhythms of resistance. Help us to be a community that stands against the powers of evil in this world, the forces that try to divide us, the forces that try to destroy us. Lord, we are grateful for this invitation into Sabbath, into rest. Teach us, we pray, in your name, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.